Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 252. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, at 6 a.m., my father dropped me off at the Wichita airport for me to catch a 7 a.m. flight going direct from Wichita to Dallas-Fort Worth. Again, the plane was to take off at 7 and get me in Dallas by 8 a.m. Central Time. You see, this was my first official day as a fully qualified pilot at American Airlines. I just got off active duty with the Marine Corps, spent 10 years active duty as a pilot and an officer in, in the Marine Corps from 1991 to 2001. I got out in June of 2001 when American Airlines hired me. And it was like I won the lottery ticket. I mean, I've been actively pursuing this job at American for 18 months or so. It's hard to get in, but the airlines were hiring like crazy. And it was literally like you winning the lottery ticket because the airlines were making money hand over fist. They needed pilots. They, they, at the time, they didn't have enough demand to feel or enough pilots in the military to fill the demand that they were forecasting. And it was such a great feeling and in an exciting time. And so I did all my training through that summer of 2001 you know, excited about what the future was bringing. And I did my check ride, my final check ride, and got signed off on September 8th, 2001. I was living in Wichita, based in Dallas, and I had a few days off after my check ride. And September 11th was the morning. I was to report at Dallas Fort Worth by noon. So that's why you found me as a deadheaded employee getting on that 7 a.m. flight to Dallas. And we took off normal and landed at Dallas-Fort Worth at 8 a.m. Central Time. And if you remember from that day, the timeline of September 11th, 7.46 Central Time was when the first plane hit the uh, trade t- first tower th- in uh, New York City. And then 8.03 a.m. Central Time was when the second plane hit the tower. So we landed at Dallas-Fort Worth right at 8 o'clock on time. As we were taxiing in, and it's quite a long taxi uh, in Dallas, Uh, The captain came on over the PA and said, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for the delay, but they've closed the airspace and they're not letting anybody into or out of the gates. So they got to find a new gate for us. I will get you to the gate as soon as possible. So we dilly-dallied around and we finally pulled into a gate probably around 825, 830, if I remember correctly. And I remember there was an older couple next to me sitting across the aisle from me and they were very anxious because they had a tight connection time. They were going to Cancun. So we finally walked out of the jet bridge into the terminal, and they were in front of me, and we both kind of looked at the terminals, and I remember the old man saying, what is happening? And I looked at the terminals with him, you know, which showed the connecting flights, and literally it was coming up, canceled, 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 canceled. As we 
spoke. And I'm sitting there like, man, what happened? What's going on? Right behind me was a TGI Fridays and a small television screen. And they were looking, a bunch of people around, a small television screen. I saw smoke from a distance and I asked a guy that was in the back, I said, hey, what happened? And he goes, yeah, a small Cessna hit the tower. Still wasn't putting the two together, right? We did this is before smartphones, so you weren't didn't have the instantaneous news like we were getting, and still didn't really know what was going on. And I walked a few, I don't know, hundred feet into the pilot operations center, the door that took me upstairs, and I walked upstairs into the room, fifty to sixty pilots all sitting around a big screen TV in the American Airlines operations center. And that's when it hit me. And I caught the eye of one of my classmates who was in the same class I was in. And he goes, dude, one of them was ours. And I'm like, what do you mean one of them is ours? And then it all had came clear what we are all familiar with what happened on September 11th. And so that began the process. I flew six times in uh, September and I was laid off from the job October 1st, 2001. Now, fortunately, the worst thing that happened to me was losing a job. I mean, there's so many other people suffered far more greatly than than what happened to me. But the point of what I was trying to tell the story is, is I remember at that point in, in getting laid off in October and thinking, what am I going to do? Kind of a panic feeling and telling myself, all I know how to do is fly airplanes. That's all I've been doing for the last 10 years. Well, eventually got a job as a shipping supervisor for a local manufacturing company here in Wichita and uh, had to do something. I was making 17 bucks an hour, significantly different than what I was making as an officer in the Marine Corps, astronomically different than what I was going to be making at American Airlines eventually. But I had to do something. And I remember when I uh, walked in and the shipping department first met me. And you can imagine the scene, and I know I've told this story before, but I'm retelling it again to paint the picture that here I am in my khaki dockers, my J.C. Penney polo shirt, my short haircut, walking literally what it felt like on the set of Sons of Anarchy. Right? These guys were rough. They were tough and tumble, and you can imagine the skepticism as they were looking into me being introduced as their new supervisor. But that's when it really hit me from a leadership perspective on how much the Marine Corps taught me about leadership, that I learned a lot more in those 10 years as an officer and a pilot in the Marines than what I was giving myself credit for. Because just like the brand new second lieutenant who has no combat experience is faced with a battle-hardened platoon, with a platoon of Marines who have been to Iraq and Afghanistan a couple times, how does that brand new officer who has no experience gain the respect and the trust of the people they are now accountable for? Well, you certainly don't do it through your rank and your position. You do it through trust and through common sense leadership. And that began the process anyway of my passion or my understanding anyway, which led to the passion, which led to the show, which led to me talking about leadership in such a passionate way that I do and why I do this show. Because the Marine Corps taught me a lot about it. You've heard me reference it many times on this show that the biggest lesson that I learned or started to learn and looking back, of course, with reflection and perspective, that it's not about eliminating chaos. It's about exploiting it, about being that calm, confident, consistent, and courageous presence in a chaotic and uncertain world. Because that chaos and that uncertainty is always going to be there. Let the others spend their time and energy and resources trying to make everything as smooth as possible. When the Marine Corps philosophy was like, okay, that's fine and well, but I'm going to spend my time, energy, and resources on 
focusing on myself and learning how to be that calm, confident, consistent, courageous presence in that chaotic force. Okay, that's the high level gist of it. But it comes to that question, and it really is, it begs the questions like, what is leadership? You guys have heard me tell that story of how I kind of, as the beginning of what brought me to this point, or even to this point where I'm having this conversation with you right now, that what is leadership? You know, it is the number one question that is Googled, that is asked, people that send me questions in a roundabout way. Maybe they don't ask me that directly, but ask, what is it? Because I look around and I see in the corporations that I've worked with, that I've worked in, that I've coached, that I've spoken at, you know, whatever I've done, I've been associated with, people don't fully understand what it is. I, for the longest time, didn't fully understand what it is. And that's what this episode, this solo episode, is really about. What is leadership? Well, I can tell you what leadership is not. It's not about your position. It's not about your rank. You've heard me say that before. It's certainly not about your title. And I think a lot of times we hold ourselves short or sell ourselves short, thinking from a leadership perspective, thinking it is about position, it is about title, that it, once I, you achieve that, then you're well on your way on your leadership path and your journey. That's a myth. It's really not about that, or certainly not about that, and it's certainly not about your personal attributes. A lot of times we think it is. You've heard me talk about charisma and thinking those are the attributes that make a leader. It plays a part, don't get me wrong, but it's less about your personal attributes. And leadership is certainly not about management. So what is it? Well, there's certainly some great quotes out there, some of my favorites, including from Warren Bennis early on. I'm a huge fan of Warren Bennis early, early on in my leadership career. But I love what he says, and Warren Bennis says, leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. I love that, and it really is. Leaders are forward-thinking. They take a vision and translate it into reality. Napoleon, you know, certainly had a lot of flaws, but from a leadership perspective, I love what he said from a leader is a dealer in hope. In hope, because if you don't have hope, and sometimes that's all you have. And if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. And then, of course, Maxwell, which you know I'm a huge fan of, where he says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that's really what it's about. So what is it? What is leadership? It encompasses far more than we initially think, right? It starts with leadership of yourself, which is the most difficult. Leadership of others. Leadership of other leaders. Business-level leadership. Enterprise-level leadership. City-state. National. Global. On and on and on. It encompasses everything. But if you had to ask me and you trapped me in a corner in an elevator and you said, Richard, give me your 15 to 30 second definition of leadership, it would be this. Leadership is tapping into the unlimited, unlimited human potential and delivering results. Say that again. Leadership, what I think it is, is tapping into the unlimited human potential and then delivering results. You see, here's the thing. In society, we put a lot of emphasis on talent. And we think that talent is what drives results. You know, we're all blessed with some sort of talent. And again, we put a huge emphasis on this talent, thinking that's what it means to drive success. But talent does not equal success. Talent does not equal results. If talent equaled success, then all successful people would be talented. And that's not true. If talent equaled success, then all unsuccessful people would be untalented. And that's not true either. Look, talent is a given, okay? You have to be good at something. You know, in the aviation community, if you're going to be a great pilot, if you're going to be a chief pilot someday, 
you have to be talented at flying. You have to know how to fly a plane, right? But that isn't enough. There has to be something more. Talent is never enough. Some great statistics in a book by John Maxwell called Talent is Never Enough. And I love the statistics that he has in that book. And he says 50% of all Fortune 500 CEOs, 50% graduated with a C or C minus average. I'm not a fan of politicians, particularly now in this crazy political season, but we are supposed to look at them by definition. They are leaders. But 65% of all U.S. senators graduated in the bottom half of their class. 75% of all U.S. presidents graduated in the bottom half of their class. Think about that. My favorite statistic of all is where 50% of all millionaire entrepreneurs never finished college, if they even went at all. 50%. So you look at those statistics and you have to question. We need to reexamine our beliefs on why people become successful. Talent is a given. You got to be good at something. But you got to earn your success. There has to be something more. Because here's the truth about leadership and success. You've heard me say this at the beginning of almost every show. How well you lead determines how successful you are. How well you lead determines how successful you are. It's like this. The potential of who you're trying to be is unlimited. You have unlimited potential. I subscribe to Maslow's theory that we all have unlimited potential or at least enough, more potential than we'll ever need in a lifetime or use. And so this potential, however, and this comes straight from Maxwell, the potential of what you're trying to lead will be capped by your own leadership ability. The reality is most of us, most people in any organization do not get assigned leadership positions because or based on their leadership ability. We don't hire people typically as as leaders in an organization, put persons in a leadership position because of their leadership ability. We don't. Most people are put into leadership roles because they've been successful in some prior technical success in their previous position. They were technically astute or they were really good. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Think about organizations. I've seen this, you know, you know, we, we see this rock star accountant calling Billy the bean counter and Billy counts beans better than anybody else. We're so impressed how Billy counts beans. We wish all the other accountants counted beans like Billy. Imagine the department, how efficient we would be from an accounting aspect if they all counted beans like Billy. So you know what? Let's make Billy the leader of all the bean counters. He's paid his dues. He's excited. He's technically and tactically proficient in counting beans. So let's put him in this role as the lead bean counter. Everybody's happy. Billy's happy. He's arriving. He's got a raise. Everybody's happy. Well, a few months go by. And we start seeing results actually start to go the opposite way. Billy's actually unhappy. He's frustrated. And we're all scratching our heads going, what in the heck happened to Billy? Why is he failing? He was a rocket. He was on a rocket ship. He was a shooting star. What happened to him? Yeah, he's a shooting star. He's starting to fade out, right? Well, here's the deal. Just because you're the best bean counter in the organization does not mean that you are capable of being the leader of the bean counters because the skill set in being the best bean counter is completely different than the skill set in being the leader of the bean counters. Look, your team can be super talented. You can have rock stars, superstars, A players, but the abilities of that team 
will never rise of the leadership lid of the leader, the leadership abilities of the leader. Those abilities of the leader are going to cap that organization. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. Nobody, the team, the organization cannot surpass the abilities of the leader that is over it. If it has any influence over it, it won't happen. But again, don't misunderstand me. The group, the potential, the individuals in that organization, that team has unlimited potential. Just like if you had two table lamps sitting side by side, identical table lamps. They're plugged in, in theory, they're plugged in the same outlet. They are both plugged into an unlimited, air quotes, unlimited power source. Now, I know there's limited power coming through those wires, but each of those table lamps, you know, there's way more power coming through those wires than those table lamps will ever need. And one of those lamps is going to be brighter than the other. Why? Because one has a 60-watt bulb in it. The other one has a 100-watt bulb in it. The 100-watt bulb tapped into the same unlimited potential is producing a brighter result. Why? It's because the 100-watt bulb is allowing more of that potential to flow through. It's the same with your leadership ability. You want to have the organization, the team, your individual efforts rise, then you have to raise the leadership ability of the leader. You got to raise the lid, as Maxwell says. So how do you raise that lid? That's the question. What do you do? How do we do it? You've heard me say it on this show time and time again. It starts with intentionality. You have to be intentional about this. It is not something that happens by accident. It is a day by day by day by day by day grind of intentionality of the little things, the unsexy things the things that don't get a lot of recognition and understanding that leadership is a teachable skill. It is not something you're born with. Yes, sir. Some people are more inclined or naturally adept to becoming leaders, but leadership is a teachable skill. It follows a set of laws. You learn the laws. You're going to learn how to lead at least become a better leader. doesn't mean you're going to be a fortune 500 CEO, but that's not the goal and understand that it's a lifelong process that never stops and understand that you've got to get yourself into a growth zone. And then understand that this growth zone does not coincide with the comfort zone. They cannot exist in the same plane. So you have to be uncomfortable. You have to push yourself. But the good news is it's available to everyone. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wait for anything. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to pay for anything to get yourself into the growth zone. You just have to opt in. The perfect curriculum for your growth are the circumstances you find yourself in right now, right now, listening to this podcast. The circumstances that you're in right now is the perfect opportunity and the perfect curriculum for your growth. You just have to opt in, and that's a choice. Realize that every interaction that you have with another human being is an opportunity for leadership and growth. Every single interaction. From your spouse to your kids to the cashier at the grocery store. Every interaction is an opportunity for leadership development and growth. It's about adding value to everyone and everything. All of us are capable of that. Every single one of us has somebody looking to us for influence and guidance. It's just within our choice and within our power to opt in to take advantage of it. Look, leadership is easy. So easy to understand. The principles are so basic, but they're difficult to implement because of the courage, because of the authenticity, because of the vulnerability that's required 
That's the currency that you need to become a successful and influential leader. So what is leadership? It's adding value to others and having the courage to be authentic, to be transparent, and to be vulnerable. That's easy to understand, more difficult to put into play. And it starts with you stop trying to be something that you're not. Take off the mask. Stop wearing them. Stop focusing on false charisma. Stop focusing on position and title. And dedicate your life every single day to learn what it takes in every aspect of your life to be calm, to be confident, to be consistent, and to be courageous in everything that you do. That's what leadership is to me. I hope you're finding some value in Dose of Leadership. I thank you so much for hearing me out on this solo episode a little longer than others. But I so appreciate your support for this show. It continues to grow by leaps and bounds, and it's all because of you, and I'm so appreciative. If you are finding some value in this free resource, I would appreciate your support on Patreon. It's a, I set myself up on a Patreon account. It's a great way for you to support the show. You can donate whatever you want, as little as a dollar a month to up unlimited whatever you want. But your efforts and your donation would go a long way, and I would be so appreciative. Eric Leschuk, thank you so much for your support on Dose of Leadership. I'm blessed beyond measure. Thank you for your generous support for the show and being a fan. And again, thanks for listening to the show. Reach out to me. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. Go to doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com and hit me up on the contact page. And again, you can support me on Patreon at Dose of Leadership. You can see the link there and uh, support the show. Again, thank you so much, and I'll see you next episode. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.